Good afternoon, church. Good afternoon. Um, as we as we get to this um, point in <clears throat> uh, on changing God in changing times in this series in Nehemiah, um, now there's great anticipation in the air now for some kind of return to normal in uh, our daily lives. And whilst getting prepared to share this afternoon, or this morning, <laughs> used to, so used to afternoon, um, the, 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 the impression on my mind as, a, as you read through um, this, today's chapter, Nehemiah chapter 9, is, wow, Right, so we're back to normal. Everything's okay now. We and God are just, you know, cool. We're back in Jerusalem. Um, relationships good with God. And you might think, hmm, well, things are okay. But um, much, as, much as that thought may um, enter our minds, I think, I mean, I, I, to take us through this passage today, I mean, there's a pa panorama I want to kind of share and use to guide us as we go through um, this, this section that I found really helpful from Pastor Tim Keller in his book on preaching. And I think it's, it's helpful to shape what I think God's going to show us in today's account. So our text is somewhere in the middle of this panorama, of this description, and I'll first read what precedes the times and the accounts of Nehemiah 9. And then uh, we'll pray. God created the world and created us to serve him and to enjoy him and the world that he has made. Um, but human beings turned away from serving him. They sinned and marred themselves and the creation. Nevertheless, God promised uh, to not abandon them, though it was his perfect right, but to rescue them, despite the guilt and the condemnation they were under. And despite our settled habit in our hearts, just to be flawed, in, in our hearts and in character, God determines to rescue us and God determines to save us rather than abandon us. Let's pray as we go into um, today's message. Father, I just want to ask for your help today. I want to ask for your grace. Lord, you are truly kind. You are truly compassionate. You are truly merciful. You look upon us with compassion all through this week my mind has just been thinking about you know the compassion of of parents their children the compassion of uh, ones that we hold dear to us even when they err miss the mark go off track completely lord um you indeed have shared that in, even in the heart of man. You've, kind, you've, you've almost shared that attribute with us in some way. 
that we can look in pity to help, to reach out, to save, to rescue, and bring back to us, bring back to yourself. Lord God, I pray, show us what you're doing, even in redeeming us in this passage today. Show us how indeed you are long-suffering with us. And show us indeed how you have made provision for us to come back to you, no matter how far away we've drawn from you. Lord, guide us even through all of these things today, we pray. And ask in Jesus' name, amen. So, really, looking at this section and looking at this passage of scripture, we face a real dilemma humanly speaking, uh, when it comes to relationship with God. Can we ever live up to God's expectation? If we can't live up to God's expectation, should we just, as they say on the street, burn that and <laughs> just go about doing our own business? Because God knows we can't live up to his expectation. I mean, why set such high standards anyway? Since we can't measure up, it's... God's problem. Well, praise God that he sees our state. He sees our dilemma and reaches out to us to save, reaches out to us to rescue us and bring us back in relationship to himself. Um, today, um, we will, I read up to a point what God's actually doing to bring us to back to himself in salvation and um, as we as I continue reading that panorama and take us to our text the question comes to mind what then must we do what can we do in order to bring ourselves or come to find ourselves in great relationship with God who has made all things with God who sustains all things by his word you know what should we believe out there? What should we hold on to in terms of bringing us close to him? Well, by the time I continue reading, we're into our text. It's a long um, 38 verses, but there's some things that just keep recurring and keep repeating in this section. Um, what has God done to bring us back to himself? To do this in order to... Uh, not abandon us and rescue us. God first called out one family in the world. By this time, uh, I've skipped quite a few verses at the beginning. The occasion really is that the children of Israel, a couple of days after the Feast of Tabernacles, which, we, which Alan led us through last week, Sunday, um, I mean, having had seven days of reading through the law, the book of the law of God, uh, it brings on a revival of sorts. And the people, a couple of days after the celebration of the Feast of Booths, come to see, ah, man, if this is what the law of God says, boy, do we have a lot of, we're really in a dire situation, we're really in a dire state. And verses 1 and 2 describe the people setting themselves apart in fasting, in sackcloth, and with dust on their heads. Alan helped us out with this last week. You know, culturally, 
<laughs> I think I enjoyed the contrast he made about, you know, sitting down to hear the word, sitting down to take communion. But here these guys are really expressing the strong emotion of guilt, a sense of guilt and loss and repentance and remorse and putting on sackcloth and dirt upon their heads. It wasn't beautified in any way. It wasn't dignified in any way. Just to express the humility before God. To see, boy, we're in a really guilty state before God. What do we do? Well, here's what God did. And that takes us into the uh, earlier stages of them beginning to acknowledge to God, hey, this is the, the situation we're in. But here's what God's done. God has called out one family in the world. By this time, we're in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 7. And we see um, God calling out this family to know him and serve him. God keeps his, his covenant. He establishes a covenant with this family. Um, keeps his covenant by grace with Abraham. It wasn't as if there was anything special that this one family did or merited, apart from the fact that God made a pronouncement concerning this man of his intention, and he believed God. And God counted that to him for, credited that to him for righteousness. And here the people rehearse that and remind themselves of what God is already doing. This is part of God's plan to bring us all as well into relationship with himself. We will see that as we progress. They acknowledge that God is the Lord who chose Abraham, uh, verse 7, and brought him out from the ore of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham, found his heart faithful before God, made a covenant with him, um, gave him the land of the Canaanites. In fact, God fulfilled his promise. He kept his covenant. He kept his commitment, his oath to bless Abraham. Because as they acknowledge, he is righteous. Then, going on in what God's, um, uh, going on in that panorama that just takes us in a brush, broad stroke through what God's doing, to bring us back to himself. God grew that family into a nation, entering into a binding, personal covenant relationship with them and gave them his law to guide their lives with promises of blessing if they obeyed it and a system of offerings and sacrifices to deal with their sins and failures. Here is where um, we easily can get stuck. We easily can get lost. We easily can just flounder. Okay, so if we keep the law of God, then there's blessings. If we fail to keep the law of God, then there's curses upon us. Hmm, really? Is that, is that so? Will we make it? Will we thrive? Well, despite 
Um, despite this, God also gives them a system of offerings and sacrifices. Or in addition to this, God gives them a system of offerings and sacrifices to deal with their sins and failures. However, this is a thing we need to acknowledge as well. Because I asked, posed a question just now. Does that work for us? Or don't we get stuck or fall on that? We will see in a moment as we just walk through this chapter how even this, does this bring us indeed to a place where we're in great relationship with God? Does this bring Israel, even in their experience now, as they come back to Jerusalem, does this restore them into a, a relationship that is all good, you know, perfect? God has redeemed us. He's been gracious. I mean, we've read through Nehemiah of the good hand of God upon him. And he received favor from the king who he served, received great um, supplies to rebuild Jerusalem, the, temp, the wall around Jerusalem, to, to rebuild his house where he would dwell. Does this mean everything's okay? Well, we see here, as we move on into the chapter, that by the time we get to verse 16, moving through the passage, and um, I'll probably just give brief summaries of, of uh, some sections to follow. We have already seen that our human nature is just so disordered and sinful that despite all these privileges and centuries, a lot of the passing of time and, and, and God's patience, even the people that God has made a personal covenant to, who received God's law, who received his promises, who have the sacrifices, the system of sacrifices to compensate for, right, their failings and their, and, and their shortcomings, they too end up turning away from God. So, from verses 9 to 11, we see in Nehemiah chapter 9, but that's where we are, by the way. I've, I think I, I, I never mentioned the chapter at all as we went along. Um, we see God dealing with Egypt and making his name great. This was one of the privileges that the children of Israel, this, this family that God grew into a nation, would benefit and have. God made, dealt with them. This is a, a blessing, a privilege. We see God leading the fathers of these people who are standing today in, in the text, rather, in their assembly, making confession, acknowledging God. Their fathers, God led them and gave them his law and his commandments. Verses 12 to 12 and 13. And then we see God wondrously guiding them um, to his promised land. He promised Abraham, hey, I'll bring your descendants into a land, a land of, of, of the Canaanites, of the Hivites, and the rest of those tribes or nations, bringing them to a place where God promised. And he indeed did guide them and brought them to that point. 
for the first um, uh, set of descendants who God brought out of Egypt into the promised land or to the promised land, led by Moses to leave that promised land. And they got to the promised land, to the boundaries, the borders. Yay, everything's good, right? But if we're familiar with the scripture account, these guys here confessing in verses 16 and 17, but they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn. They would not listen to your commandments. They refused to listen. And did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But hold on. God made them a personal covenant. God gave them laws and statutes. God delivered them from Egypt. This should, you should just follow that. Yeah, with all these privileges, with all this help from God, we'll just walk and follow after God. Is there something we're not taking account of? And I've highlighted this already. Do we get to points where it comes to we're offered a benefit? God is offering benefits here and privileges here. But you know, the good thing is this. God also in his grace has given us free will to choose, to make the choice. But humanly speaking, our hearts are just, we want to do our own thing. It's to the point where the people of God's covenant would not even be moved to follow the plan and the purpose of God for them. Promised. He would do it. He would deliver. He has delivered. He has rescued this lot from Pursuing army on horses and chariots while they were on foot, in carriages perhaps, taking their, their, their stuff along, but delivered them from such, from, from such enemies. And boy, it would look like the covenant and the plan of God has failed. But is, has it? Has it failed indeed in that, in that way? So what is the problem? What's the issue we face here? Was it God who failed? Or was it just us who would not walk with God? I mean, much like this, these, much, much like these um, um, people here, do we find ourselves even now, I mean, we too as believers, as Christians in this time, Walking also in the promise of God to save us, who would turn to believe in his current plan to save us? Do we find ourselves uh, wanting to do our own thing as well? Is that problem still around? Is it still there? I don't say this to berate or beat us up to say, hey, um, yeah, this is a time to you know bring up a list of we want people to do this, that, and the other. No, 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 no. That's not my intention at all. <laughs> Otherwise, we would still find ourselves in the same place. Just like these. They had laws. They had 
commandments. They had with, with blessings and privileges. And then there'll be pressure to, to, to serve because, yeah, I want to get the blessings and the privileges of God or Abraham and whoever. <laughs> or of Christ. But let's move on and not get stuck here. Verse 17, um, in the confession, as these people gather and acknowledge the seriousness of their plight, this is like, man, we're back in Jerusalem. We're back in relationship with God. But how do we move on from here, knowing and seeing the catalog of just failing to, failing to take off in our relationship with God? failing to really soar and really have a, a relationship with God that is like personal. We face that problem too today. Why can't we do it? We'll answer that question. But at the same time, something we need to know. Where these guys, I mean, it's clear and evident that, that, that they fell short of God's standard in term, terms of meeting the law and we'll see more of that but they 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 note here but you are a god of forgiveness verse 17 gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness i couldn't help but just think about um what some have described, what, what's an, an analogy that some have used to, to just describe this uh, compassion. It's feelings in the inward parts. Imagine God seeing and determining that he will bring salvation to us. Have we seen it yet? Has it happened are we in that close personal relationship with God that is enduring, alive, vibrant, where we can freely come into the presence of God without a sense of guilt, not get tripped up as though, boy, God's going to really whack me now if I just make one little slip? Are we there yet? Well, We'll see. But God is gracious and compassionate. He's really, this, this that God has committed to do, he's not going to give up on. He's nursing this, if you like. He's seeing it come to pass. So that the, um, the stubbornness, the arrogance, the, the sin of these people... Yes, it is arrogance, it is stubbornness, it is sin. It wasn't, oh yeah, yeah, just give them the benefit of the doubt. It wasn't just give them a blight. No, he calls it what it is. And we'll see God continue to do that. He's slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and did not forsake them. He didn't forsake them, he didn't write them off. We can lose it so easily with ourselves. I mean, you, what you come, you, you what you come and rant like this on my on my on my, on my social media platform? That's it, unfriend, <laughs> gone. 
God doesn't unfriend us like that. Even when they made for themselves a calf of molten metal and said, this is your God. Misrepresent God. But God in his great compassion did not forsake them in the wilderness. He could have done that. You know what, this, this, just, just coming to this passage and this verse, I'm reminded of the fact that as part of the system that God set in place for Israel, when it came to um, making up for their, for their sins and for their shortcomings, a system of offerings and sacrifices, one thing they could do when they came and found that they had sinned against God was bring a goat or two goats, one to be presented as a burnt offering, and the other, I was excited when I saw, wow, so this is where this thing, scapegoat, came from. The other was a scapegoat, upon whose hands the, the person who sinned before God would bring the goat to the priest, and then lay his hands upon the goat, and confess all his sins upon that goat's head. And a young man, a fit guy, would take the goat into the wilderness and leave it there so that it would wander in the wilderness and die with the sins of the people upon it, of the, of the, of the one who's offered it upon his head. God did not forsake them in the wilderness, but they could offer a scapegoat. <laughs> Interestingly, God has... done something amazing in this and um, in what he now has done to bring us into relationship with him in Christ. I'm resisting the urge to just make that point right here, right now, <laughs> because I want to bring it all in at the end. How Christ indeed takes that, the place of that one who is forsaken. And God did not leave these people. He didn't leave them. But then there's more to come of God's long-suffering, God's centuries of patience and waiting and bearing with Israel, the people who had his covenant. We, we read in verses 22 to 25 of God delivering the kingdoms of the promised land to the descendants of their father, to the descendants of their fathers, because the ones who got there in the first place, they wouldn't take it. But God just delivered the kingdoms and the lands anyway. So verse 24 says, their sons entered and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and you gave them into their hand with kings and the peoples of the land to do with them as they desired. They captured fortified cities and a fertile land. They took possession of houses full of every good thing, hewn cisterns, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. So they ate, were filled and grew fat and reveled in, God, and reveled in God's great goodness. This isn't where the People in the text that we're looking at today in chapter 9 find themselves. When they come to make their request eventually to God, 
we see the relevance of them pointing this out in their confession. They're acknowledging, God, you know what? <laughs> Where we're at right now is really out of our own making. We've fallen short indeed. Because this is a far cry from where they're at. We'll see later on that everything that they produce now, even in the land, they're living as slaves. In the land, everything that they produce, all the produce goes to the kings, to the people who rule over them in the land that is supposed to be the land of the city of peace, of their peace. So you can appreciate the, 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 the seriousness given to taking all of this time to really catalog all these things and really reflect and think, hmm, where am I with God? Where are we with God? Are things back to normal now? Are things just good because, you know, there is, this, there is some semblance of peace? They're back in Jerusalem, but it's, it's, it's not like it used to be. It's not like it used to be at all. So, but then, <laughs> it just seems like, why you guys just keep repeating these things? Repeating cycles of disobedience, oppression, and deliverance. I mean, they, they just carry on confessing these things to God from verse 26 on. Much as God brought them into the land, they became disobedient again and, rebe and rebelled against God. God's law threw it behind their backs. And look at God's patience and forbearance in all of this. At the same time, God sent his prophets. Look at verse 26. God sent his prophets who admonished them. It's not like they were without people saying, hey, you know what? This, this ain't what God's, this is what God prescribes for us to do. You know? God would not have us charging our brethren interest or God would not have us, you know, continuing to amass wives to ourselves i mean if you go through the book of judges or or samuel you see accounts of things that were just quite disappointing if you are legalistically minded and truly disappointing when you think about the law of god because god's laws are just they're right they're true And they're, they, they, they're good, they're holy. But these guys just carried on. And what did they do with the prophets who came to admonish them? They killed the prophets. As if that would get rid of, <laughs> as if that would get rid of the law of God. As if that would to remove the witness of God. Check this. I don't know, believer, if you've been in a place where sometimes you know, listen, what I'm doing right now, this is not testimony for, this is not good testimony of God or of Christ. And there's probably no one around watching or can see this, what I'm doing right here. 
but from the weirdest of, of places, probably someone who you just don't look up to, don't even rate at all, would just stand up to you and confront you and say, hey, that's, that's an unchristian thing to do. <laughs> God doesn't leave himself without witness and did this with these, with these people here. So therefore, God delivered them into the hand of their oppressors. So it just is a repeating cycle of disobedience, oppression, and then again, crying out to God, God, come and help us. We're in trouble here. We're being oppressed. And God would rescue and deliver again. God would raise up deliverers who delivered them from the land, from the hand of their oppressors. I mean, the book of Judges is full of accounts like that, of all the Jephthahs and, and Samsons and the rest of them coming, just coming to deliver Israel from the hands of their oppressors. But as soon as they had rest, verse 28, it did evil again before God. Isn't that the pattern? You see any familiar pattern there with just our lives? Day to day, life's good, you know? Then trouble hits. Oh God, I, listen, I'm, gonna, I'm going to so serve you in church if you bring me out of this 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 tough this tough place I'm in, you know. If you deliver me from this illness, it's gonna be me and you, ride or die. <laughs> Come, how does that help us? But you see, God again, patiently, patiently, acting and redeeming. So, how does God really help us? I mean, why can't we do this? Truly, this is just human nature. That's the way we are. That is just the way we are. And um, it's so disordered that even despite, as I said earlier on, all these privileges, even for God bringing this one family uh, into focus and teaching them his law, eventually we can see from this catalog as well that Even the people of God, even the people of God turned away from God. Therefore, God gave them over to the people of the lands. Now, here is our assembly today gathered, as in the assembly in chapter 9, gathered and making confession of where they're at, as I mentioned earlier. Now, therefore, our God... The great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant and loving kindness. Do you hear that? They cry, their reliance is upon God's faithfulness. God's resolve. God's determination to keep his covenant. And what is the covenant that God has made? What is it that God has done? Because in the place where they are, it does look hopeless. It really does look hopeless for them too. Because um, God keeps covenant and loving kindness, and this is their appeal. This is their cry. Don't let all the hardship, verse 32, don't let all the, all the hardship that we're going through now seem insignificant before you, which has come upon us, our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria to this day, but they acknowledge God's justice in all that has come upon them. 
and they acknowledge that God has dealt faithfully and they've acted wickedly. That's something, is that something we can do as well? Not to say that that makes us right with God. Not to say that that's what brings us on, in God's good terms alone. But um, they say, for our kings, our leaders, our priests have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your admonitions with which you have admonished them. You see, the challenge is this. <clears throat> and it's demonstrated in this catalog that even the people of God, even us in this day, if it was just a matter of observing laws, observing commandments, in our strength, in our ability, we'd find ourselves in the same position too. We'd find ourselves like these, in a place where, wow, so we've made a mess of the covenant. We've made a mess of the blessings of God. We've made a mess of, of the privileges. You know, we can sing the Abraham's blessings of mine as many times as we like, but we'll find ourselves, if we were strictly in that arrangement with God, far short of his expectation. So, what's the solution to all of this? Well, here's what God has done. And the people acknowledge um, their place, as, as I've mentioned earlier. But here's what God has done. Um, God has come in human form. He became flesh and entered our world, our space. He entered history. Now, like I said earlier on, this, this account is really just kind of sandwiched in the middle of what God is actually doing even now that, uh, that is relevant and applies to us. This also is relevant to us in acknowledging and seeing that if it was a matter of our, our effort, boy, we'd be in the same position too. But then God took this place i mean god upholds his covenant and this is something that um, they continually reiterated and continually gets repeated through this part through this section god is gracious god is compassionate god keeps his covenant god keeps his loving kindness god committed to abraham that he will that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him through his seed and we see, well, looking at these people, the seed, not quite measuring up, but we see Jesus, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, but then went to the cross to die. I made reference to the scapegoat earlier on one of the provisions that God made for these people in their time was that for sin, they could present a scapegoat who would take away the sin of the one who's presenting that offering. But here, Jesus came to the cross, went to the cross to die. And it just reminded me 
where you see God not forsaking these people in verse 19. He didn't forsake them. He didn't give them up. In the introduction, God did not forsake mankind or give us up. But on the cross, we hear Jesus crying out. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he takes away this, these shortcomings. He takes away the sin that is just so humanly, um, just so easily besets us. So that coming to a place like this of confession, coming to a place and acknowledging how God has brought us here, coming to a place and, re and recognizing that, look, humanly speaking, we fall short. We can't measure up if we try to live up to God in our own effort. Um, if that's us today, well, here's someone who's, who measures up. Jesus Christ, of whom um, God bears so much witness to attest to the fact that, look, if anybody's going to live up to um, Anybody's going to live up to a perfect relationship with God? It is Jesus, heralded by John the Baptist, where he says, Ah, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Of whom God attested as well, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is one who measures up. This is one who lives a perfect life before God. This is one who fulfills all of God's commandments and doesn't fall short. Now, having done that, where then is our confidence? The invitation God makes to us is one that is far greater and surpasses the covenant that this crowd makes even at the end of chapter 9 and uh, chapter 10 of Nehemiah. They make a commitment. <clears throat> they make a commitment to fulfill their obligation to live according to the law of God, to come to Jerusalem and dwell there, to pay the tithe so to, to live up to God's expectation. <clears throat> Be out of grief and out of sorrow that of, as to how, how far short they've fallen of God's commandment. But the invitation God makes to us is, look, there isn't any one of us who can live up to God's expectation. There's only one who fulfills that commandment with his perfect life and his life is presented as a sacrifice that takes away the damnation, the curse, the punishment that we deserve and he secures the blessings of God for us. For whoever believes in him 
freely by grace. Note that in all of this, there's no laying us off the hook. There's, there's no saying we don't need to, to observe or keep the commandments of God. With this that Jesus has done, he secures for us even every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Let me summarize by just saying this. And this is the way that um, Paul the Apostle best puts it together in a nutshell. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 3 to 6, Ephesians 1. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The next chapter is, the next verse is, 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 is very telling because this, is, this has been God's plan all along. Verse 4 says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. That we would be holy and blameless before him. Again, showing us that it's, this has always been the plan of God to bring us back in relationship. Not so much the law, and not so much an abandoning of, of just commandments. Not so much an abandoning of the truth, but the grace of God. Because in love, in his compassion that is unfailing, God's plan, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. This was God's will all along. This was God's plan all along to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. So the question then, just one thought as we go, is... Now that God has shown us the way to be made right with him, without keeping the requirements of the law, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Christ Jesus. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. No matter who we are. So, child of God, perhaps this clarifies the struggle with Man, always a sense of inadequacy, a sense of, look, I, I man, I don't do enough Bible study, or I don't do enough prayer, or I don't do enough this, that, or the other. Yes, those things are great, but they come from a life that is born again, that, is, that, is, that comes from the Spirit of God, having been made right by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. It's worth recounting it's worth going back just like these uh, just like these followers of God have done recounting confessing and thinking boy have I where is my relationship with God what is it based on they recounted their relationship through Abraham and the and their fathers and the, and and the, the law and so on we go back to Christ. 
where is where has the word of the of the gospel of Christ come to you? Have you heard it? Have you received it? Have you believed and placed faith in Jesus Christ at all? This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So, as long as it is called today, if we hear his voice, or if we hear that gospel message, um, my charge, my encouragement is open the door. Let him in. Let him in. Where's the struggle then in walking with God? Where's the struggle in receiving the grace and the salvation of God, which he freely gives in Jesus Christ? Confession, they say, is good for the soul. Let's go back, consider, and think about the marvelous grace of God in Jesus Christ that saves us. Not a matter of our works or even throwing throwing God aside altogether. Um, Child of God, wherever you are, you may have thought, nah, I can't live up to these people. No, it's, it's God's grace. It's God's love. It's God's forbearance that gives the opportunity to even hear this call again today to come because he freely redeems us and brings us back into relationship with himself by placing our faith in Christ, the only one who lived perfectly, observing God's command and thereby securing promised blessings for us by grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you. And as we acknowledge here, Lord God, um, (coughs) the trouble and the challenge we face, indeed, of living up to your righteous standard, to your holy standard. Truly, Lord, (coughs) you are right, you are just, you are holy, you are true. You know, the fool may say, oh, there is no God. And look, there's no point addressing or listening to those fairies. But (laughs) the truth is there. The conscience tells the truth even. (coughs) And thank you, Lord God, for being so loving, for for your compassion, for extending grace and coming yourself to meet the requirements that we couldn't measure up to. Lord, thank you for extending your blessing even to all who will believe. Thank you for extending your adoption to all who would come to you through faith in Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that even as many as hear this today, that dilemma, that struggle is clarified and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ indeed finds good place in the soul that will confess to you. Lord, thank you for this, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.